This is Kanzenshu, the podcast episode 471 for the week of April 21st, 2019. Well, hello, welcome to Kanzenshu, the podcast, an extension of the all encompassing Dragon Ball fan site. Kanzenshu. We cover anything and everything. Toyable, <laughs> no silver lightning, and a little bit of entertaining. Hello, welcome back to the show. Uh, we have an exciting week ahead of us. Lots of stuff to plug and to plan for and to prepare for. Uh, Julian, you're here. Hello, sir. Hello. You and I were. Uh, you're heading down. I'm heading up. We will meet somewhere not quite in the middle, closer to me, uh, in New Jersey next week for a convention, which we'll uh, we'll talk about. I guess at the end of the podcast. Uh, so that's you. That's me. My name is Mike. Uh, you may see him as Saya Jedi, I suppose. You may see me as Vegito EX, I suppose. We're breaking in one of the noobs this week, though, uh, joining us <laughs> for the first time on the podcast here, but a um, longtime friend and unofficial contributor in spirit right now, Cypher. Ian, hello, sir. Welcome to the show. Hey, happy to be here. Uh, yeah, first time on. Not only are we breaking in one of the noobs, but uh, <laughs> you've kind of taken Julian's place in Japan for the time being. I am, and I'm uh, absolutely wasting that position because I'm not sending anyone any material or uh, getting early access to anything, but I'm out here. Yeah, well, we appreciate everything that you do. Uh, so we've been, speaking of breaking in the noobs, uh, we have a, a lot of plans for upcoming podcast episodes, uh, shifting things around just depending on availability, and usually that means me can't get my shit together, but this is what I pulled together for this week. Uh, I appreciate everyone's time and flexibility. Uh, Ian, Victory Mission is your baby, huh? Yeah, Victory Mission is my awful child, and I'm excited to talk about it. It's a series that I read kind of out of curiosity for the first time, I guess late summer, early fall of last year. Uh, the entire thing is up publicly on uh, two websites, both the official uh, Bandai website, the Bandai Cardus website, and uh, the V-Jump website. Um, they have all of the main chapters uh, up for free reading. So I took a peek at it. I was kind of just curious what Toyotaro had done previously. I had just read the first two volumes of the current uh, Super Dragon Ball Heroes manga. And uh, initially, I thought I would kind of just read it for a lark, like uh, just to react to it on Twitter or somewhere, or just to kind of know what it was like. And I ended up really, really enjoying it to my own surprise. I am <laughs> beyond excited to get your take on it. Uh, Julian, in many ways, Victory Mission is also your awful child as well. Yes. You were covering it with me uh, from the onset when this first came out. We didn't know what to make of it, but it was short enough that we could easily cover it uh, each month as V-Jump was coming out. Um, you know, at we, first. At first. <laughs> we continued to uh, do a full listing for it on the website there on Consensu. Uh We have many varying degrees of complete to incomplete to complete again uh individual chapter pages for the entirety of it which we're uh in conjunction with perhaps someone else here on the show uh working towards completing uh for the website proper and for the wiki in the future victory mission i was just saying this before we started recording uh for you and i was um a really interesting period of dragon ball history because you were 
in Japan at the time, and uh, I had been picking up like the occasional V-Jump issue when there was something important. Uh, for example, episode of Bardock, when that came out, I bought those three individual issues in a row to have that. You know, when I would be out at uh, Kinokinia, if there was an issue, I would pick it up there. Uh, if there's something really important, I would buy it off of CT Japan, something like that. But when Dragon Ball Heroes Victory Mission began, and because you were in Japan, you were picking up these individual issues and this really kick-started the well i'm just gonna send mike everything that i buy over here in japan i'm not gonna just waste it uh you know i'll send it home yeah. so to speak and uh that began the <laughs> the sequential <laughs> ownership of the entirety of each jump moving forward at that point and we've been going back and and, yeah. and filling in the holes but uh yeah that was like that that key point yeah it was i did give some of the dragon ball heroes cards that were packed into some of those issues to my friends kids but uh <laughs> In spite of that, you know, I've been giving you everything I got, basically, and I've been sending the regular jump issues to Heath right? for the most part, at least the run of Dragon Ball. Stuff that falls outside that, I've been mostly sending to you. I feel so guilty for recycling my magazines now. No, what you should be doing is making a tower that will fall over you in case of an earthquake. <laughs> I mean, that's what I do until recycling day comes. Fair enough. You'd be surprised, though, the number of news articles is like local otaku crushed by magazine collection after earthquake. <laughs> I, I believe it. I believe it. Because I, I feel that not being a magazine otaku, I feel like I'm in danger of that sometimes just with normal monthly purchases. You can kill a man with a Psycho Jump. That's nothing to sneeze at right there. <laughs> you can by making him read Despo Fighter Z. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. All right. We are indeed here to talk about Dragon Ball Heroes Victory Mission, which began as, uh, you know, this may sound similar to another Toyotaro product that you're aware of, began as a promotional manga in support of something else that was very clearly the main product and over time grew into something that was, I don't want to say completely different, but really stood on its own, uh, surprisingly so from a wide variety of reasons. So uh, that's the entirety of our episode this week. We're going to talk about Toyotaro's Dragon Ball Heroes Victory Mission, the manga series, uh, as it was originally serialized from uh, 2012 all the way Kind of 2014, but then a little bit into 2015, which we will uh, talk about at the end. They're running for uh, a good number of chapters, got a bunch of bonus chapters as well. And uh, especially here we are in a post Super Dragon Ball Heroes world mission world where Victory Mission has uh, become real. <laughs> yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah. If anything, it feels like both the perfect opportunity and the worst opportunity to release Victory Mission, maybe perhaps as a, a collective whole and or translated. But uh, I think we'll talk about that in a little bit. Again, that's the entirety of our episode. We got Mike, we got Julian, we got Ian. We're going to talk about Victory Mission. Let's get on into it. Ah, the good old days of 2012. Reckoning thing by my children's ages, like I do for everything from 2010 onwards, my oldest 
was still two years old and she was still an only child. And Julian, we knew there was a movie on the horizon uh, that would be coming, yeah. what, in March in 2013? It was yeah. an exciting time, but it was also, it was a good time. Uh, Kanzenshu itself was still under a year old at that point. Uh, as we talk about often, we did that at the perfect time. If we had done yes. it any later, we probably would have said no and just jumped out a window. Uh <laughs> It was a perfect April Fool's joke. It was. So Dragon Ball Heroes has been running for a while at this point. Uh, and as I was just looking through the uh, the issue here, the November 2012 issue of V-Jump where it debuted, which came out in September 2012 that year, they were promoting the Galaxy Mission 4 update. So we had already gone through the entirety of the base Dragon Ball Heroes uh, update series. And we we're uh, you know just, I don't want to say just getting going, but going well into the Galaxy Mission series series which was the the first kind of like revamp and and new mission update series in dragon ball heroes which was itself not new at that point but uh also it was a follow-up to many previous cardass cardass i can't say any other way <laughs> cardass uh <laughs> games arcade games there in japan we had the the bakaretsu impact series uh, we had Dragon Battlers right before it. Uh, we've talked about this on the show in the past, but Super Saiyan 3 Vegeta and Super Saiyan 3 Broly, before they debuted even in Raging Blast 2, uh, they debuted in Dragon Battlers. They were really setting the groundwork for, all right, cards and what ifs. What can we do with the Dragon Ball franchise? And uh, they Give everybody the- Super Saiyan. Exactly. You get blonde hair. You get blonde hair. You get long hair. Uh, you get bandanas and belts and stuff. Uh, and Dragon Ball Heroes yep. <laughs> masks. <laughs> Dragon Ball Heroes was uh, an, an attempt to rebrand and refocus and kind of double down on that. So here we are a little ways into Dragon Ball Heroes and they decide to do more than just have the arcade game and the cards. And yeah, the the cards and the, the game are being promoted in all of the magazines. But this was the next step. And so we hear that some dude named Toyotaro was going to take on uh, the series that became Dragon Ball Heroes Victory Mission. Uh, again, it began in the November 2012 issue of V-Jump, which came out September 21st in 2012. And this series debuted uh, with an unceremonious two-page spread in n- not quite, but very, very close to the very, very back of the issue of V-Jump. <laughs> <laughs> we got two pages, and it's like, all right, that... That sure was a thing. Uh, we have this new hero, Beat, who's just the the Saiyan uh, hero avatar character, and he's fighting Janemba Baby, and things sort of happen, sort of don't happen. We get another chapter the next month. It does not pick up where it left off. It kind of just does whatever it wants to do, and we continue onward like that, and suddenly we have a serialized series uh, before our very eyes that we never saw coming. But let's stick very briefly with this uh, this initial timestamp of November 2012 as we get started here. We kind of need to talk about, uh, there's this guy, Toyotaro. Uh, Ian, maybe you can tell us hmm. a little bit about this dude, because I know you've done some additional uh, homework and reading uh, in, in the land of Toy... 
underscore underscore underscore. We are 99.9% repeating confident and have basically had confirmation from the man himself that the toyable that wrote one of the Dragon Ball AF fan manga series is uh, the Toyotaro from Victory Mission. Yeah, well, the, the strange thing about that is uh, I, I have, I've done a little bit of expanded reading in the greater Toyo universe. Uh, yeah, he left his fan manga, Dragon Ball AF, to go write an official, what turned out to be later in the series, which we'll probably get to, uh, to go write an official Dragon Ball AF uh, in that yeah. he went and wrote. He wrote a sequel <laughs> wrote to Dragon Ball GT. GT. Yes. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> he went on and did the exact same thing, just in a, a slightly different format, didn't he? Yeah, uh, well, in more ways than one. Uh, this really is the little manga that could. Uh, so it started out with these very unassuming two-page chapters, which didn't even really tell a complete story. Uh, as you were getting at earlier, chapter one is... Beat going to a little Capsule Corp game shop, uh, going into a virtual reality arcade game, starting a fight against Baby Janemba, and then it just ends. Uh, (laughs) And that's kind of how the first couple of chapters go. And it eventually got more and more pages, uh, picked up into its full ongoing storyline. And it ended up with uh, 15 to 20 page chapters. And also, as you got to uh, earlier with World Mission kind of directing the future of the Dragon Ball Heroes fiction and franchise itself, uh, which is kind of ridiculous. But the other similarity to additional Toyotaro projects, uh, or, or ones before it, is that he starts out with these these tiny little series, uh, and they grow and grow, and then eventually he leaves them for something else. Uh, so that was his path with his own fan manga AF. Yeah. And uh, eventually that was the path he took with his official AF as well. Yeah, we talk about the, oh, it grew from two pages into a, a, a full chapter. I'm looking here, the longest Victory Mission chapter is 17 pages. <laughs> and that's it's, yeah. it's quaint by today's standards where a Dragon Ball Super chapter is 45 pages now on a monthly yeah. basis. And this is where he he got those chops to be able to grow into that. And, uh, you know, even Dragon Ball Super wasn't always that long. It was during the Universe 6 arc where it really started expanding and growing in page count. And trying to keep the story up to the up to the the TV show. Which yeah. Is weekly. And going ahead. Monthly manga. Falling behind. Catching up again. Yeah, we, we go. You scroll down the list here. Two pages. Two pages. Four. Eight. Back down to five. Down to four. Up to six. Up to eight. Back down to five. And, you know, seven for a little bit. Ten. Back down to seven. Sixteen. <laughs> like, he, it's almost like, all right, how much space do we have can we can we peg this guy to just fill in you know the necessary page count to to fit the binding? This issue is almost what it feels like. All right, what what cards? What's really important? Can he fill out the pages? He seems to be able to take it on. Yeah, I wonder if you guys know more about that. Uh, so his increasing page count, which happened with both Victory Mission and later Super, is that just sort of based on editorial need? I imagine that's part of it, or is that based on 
uh, fan response to the manga? Was it just popular enough that they kept dedicating more and more pages to it? Without knowing for sure, because we don't, it has to be a combination of all of that, right? I mean, as Dragon Ball Heroes itself continues to grow in mm-hmm. popularity, you can see it again. The first chapter is in the very back of the magazine, and in due time, it'll be one of the first things you see up there. Uh, Dragon Ball itself. I mean, think about where we were in 2012, pre Battle of Gods. Dragon Ball mm-hmm. was dead. There was nothing important going on dragon ball heroes was just growing into the uh juggernaut that it would become uh in the coming years and so you know it's this lowly thing in the back of the magazine um so it really does just feel like you know, everything's just growing and let's let's put it up front let's give it the space it needs uh but also yeah. probably you know what's the what's the big update in the arcade right now is there anything and because it's a monthly magazine you're also kind of like hitting in between updates is there what every other month uh roughly yeah yeah so yeah, and then it was what every two years or so they do a new version right right Mm -hmm. so as we were talking about victory mission starts or galaxy missions already going uh into its uh, its fourth update here and so it's going to grow alongside the arcade series as well uh what was after galaxy mission was that the evil dragons yeah it's gotta be yeah jack yep jacku do you mission evil dragon mission which uh now that you mention it, that I think ran or it started alongside one of the big page count increases. Um, yeah. So that would make sense Which from a promotional sense. standpoint. So that's kind of the groundwork for how Victory Mission began. Uh, we are not going to do this manga review of Awesomeness Style where we, we can't go through every individual chapter. It's 29 chapters plus a bunch of bonus chapters. There's just too much to cover there. And maybe we can separately do that uh, down the road if it warrants it. And, I think it does warrant it. Maybe we can split it up into arcs, <laughs> so to speak. Maybe. Um, let's just talk like about one, the maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, let's talk about the early beginnings of Victory Mission because uh, we're just kind of being introduced to these characters one by one. They're they're slowly being introduced, uh, just as Dragon Ball would do itself, where we get the hero, we get Note, we get Froze, we get Irito. As we move on here, it's kind of doing what it needs to do. Um, as what it's clearly intended to be, which is just promote the cards. And early on, uh, Ian, you and I, for a little bit, were trying to uh, <laughs> document the exact cards that they were showing in some of these individual chapters. And for some, I'm, I'm still going to do that uh, eventually. I don't know when it's going to be done, but <laughs> as I add chapters to the wiki, I do want to catch the any references to real cards that are in the chapter. I, I say the nice th- nice thing in quotes is that they don't do it that often, so it's kind of like. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, it could be whatever. It's almost harder when they don't tell us because then we have to be like, Argh. yeah, no, <laughs> All right. it's way easier when there's a clear picture of the card. <laughs> what right? update was this? It could be these like three yep. cards. Uh, but yeah, it's th- they're showing early on the actual cards that they're using because those are the things that they're trying to promote to you. Uh, and so, for example, in the, the very first chapter where they have Janemba Baby, I mean, that's the card that they gave you in that exact issue uh, of the magazine, even though we don't see that card in the issue that's the card they're showing you and over those first couple chapters uh, you know they show the actual cards and you can compare them like all right that's that exact pose that's the update that it was at that time it's very clearly that card uh, and i ended up coming across a column in you know the first half dozen i think uh chapters or, or so in v-jump separate from victory mission where they're like and these were the decks that the characters were using during that chapter so you know it kind of expands outside of victory mission and that's why it's 
it's very safe to call this a promotional manga series because oh yes literally what they're doing is is selling you on the cards at that time and that's not to say it didn't grow into something as we've already mentioned and we'll continue to talk about but uh the focus is very much on the cards and the mechanics isn't it i remember uh was it froze just having that caa in giant letters up the page uh they, they do that a lot with referencing specific abilities yeah they're, they're not just telling you the characters and and the cards but like here are the abilities and here's in like a pokemon tv series kind of way like here's how you might use it in the game as well it does feel pokemon-esque uh, in in terms of both how promotional it is and also how not promotional it is in some ways. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because obviously a lot of people enjoy like the, the greater Pokemon media, right, without ever playing the games. And I think it works on that level. Uh, for me, reading the early chapters, and I will say it's heavier on referencing game elements uh, earlier in the series than it is later. For sure. But yeah. I don't think you need to know how the game works to get something out of them. Uh, when I first read it, I had never touched the game. I had no idea what any of the the gauges or meters or abilities it was referring to were. And I still found myself enjoying the chapters more and more as I went on. Uh, so I think it, it does work without knowing what the game is. And I do want to say, although it is clearly a promotional manga and it has some chapters that are more blatant about that than others, some that are really just about showing the card of the day. Even early on, I think there are signs that it wants to work a little bit more sincerely. So you have something like chapter two, I think it is, where we get introduced to Note for the first time. Uh, Note is the the female counterpart to Beat, right? She's the the girl generic Saiyan avatar character. Uh, Cyan, Cyan, excuse me. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, you've just ruined your first appearance. I need, I need to remember done. where I am. Yep. <laughs> uh, so we have her introduction, and most of that chapter, even though it's just a few pages, uh, is setting up interactions between Beat and Note uh, at their school yeah. that don't really have anything to do with the game. Uh, they do obviously wind up having a match by the end. But there's this real sort of sincere approach to setting up characters within its extremely limited page count. And for me, that's one of the things that makes Victory Mission kind of worth reading, despite being a promotional manga, is that there's a real feeling of sincerity from Toyotaro about setting up characters and setting up a world and not just having it be sort of the laziest promotion possible. Uh there is actually one bonus chapter, the Gotenks bonus chapter, that I think shows what the series would look like if it were in more of a lazy, sort of insincere promotional mode. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the way that stands in contrast to how most of the series works uh, really speaks in its favor. Um, and there are other Dragon Ball promotional mangas that feel a little less sincere in their approach. Uh, some of them run in Psycho Jump, uh, where you really feel like, okay, the author is just going through the motions, doing what they can do to, to put in the material they're supposed to be promoting. And even from oh, its earliest, most heavily promotional pages, that is not the vibe I get from Victory Mission. Julian, let me ask you, because again, as someone who's been following it since the beginning, um, as you were reading it there, um, you and I are the kind of people that would definitely pick up on he's throwing in characters from random Toriyama series that have nothing to do with Dragon Ball. There's no reason yeah. for him to draw something like that. So speaking to Ian's point about sincerity, does it come across as, at least in this respect, 
as sincere or is it just, oh my God, I got the chance to do this. I got to, I got to, I got to prove to people that I know what I'm doing. Well, that is a form of sincerity just to throw that out. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) So yeah, from, from the first chapter, right? Yeah. uh, So very first chapter, very first page, very first panel, you have Dub and Pete from Dub and Peter One, which was the it was a four chapters that Toriyama did in the pre-monthly uh, edition of V Jump, where it was spelled out in uh, Latin letters on the front cover. Yeah. So yeah, so right from the get-go, he's throwing in references to other Toriyama series, and it it becomes. Uh, not just Easter eggs, but eventually it becomes part of the plot. Yeah. He, he <laughs> yeah, borrows absolutely. characters from yep. other Toriyama stuff. Yeah, it really feels like... So when I when I talk about sincerity, it's not not that he's treating it like a, a, a super serious sort of high piece of art, because he's not, and no one could ever <laughs> accuse Victory Mission of being that. Right. Uh, but he feels like he's having fun being there. It feels like he wants to be there, and it feels like he wants to use the elements he's given for promotion to set up his own world. All right, well, let's let's break right there because he's done this before. So, again, as we know that Toyotaro is toyable, uh, he's already set up his entire post-GT world over in his Dragon Ball AF fan manga, which we know was, lols, the Western world has made up this fake series I'm going to take all of these fake elements and incorporate them, but really make my own world, make my own continuity. How do you feel that's the same or different here in Victory Mission from what he did in AF? Like setting up this, I don't know, like consistent, but I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is, but like fully realized world. So Victory Mission feels, I hesitate to call it fully realized in in terms of its world building, uh, because I think even through the end of the series, it's like key elements, like how the arcade game works in its world are not really fully fleshed out. But the one sort of weirdly consistent thing about Victory Mission is that it, I, I guess, spoiler alerts for this uh, not quite decade old uh, <laughs> promotional manga that is mostly uh, untranslated. So it's set in a post Dragon Ball GT world. So the the wild thing about Victory Mission is that it is Dragon Ball AF. Uh, yeah. You don't find out right away, but around, I think chapter, I, I want to say 10, whenever it is that they're at the, the big tournament, uh, you get a reveal that it is set in a post GT timeline, more or less. Uh, you have an announcer referring to all of the things you've been seeing in the sort of virtual reality arcade they, game they've been playing. Uh, those are all events from history, from myths, from legends in the fictional world that they're in. So it's, as it goes on, I think largely accidentally because he had to promote uh, Galaxy Mission and the Evil Dragon Mission, which were both right drawing heavily on GT elements and super started after uh, Victory Mission. You had Battle of Gods and, and Resurrection F at the very end there. Um, but there wasn't a lot of new material to incorporate. So it winds up being set pretty firmly in a post-GT timeline where eh, maybe Beerus arrived and Battle of Gods also happened somehow too. <laughs> right. Um, right. And, and that feels accidental. But what he winds up doing is really leaning heavily on the end of GT uh, for storytelling and, and also, also for like the themes of the manga, which it, it's wild that this can even be said about it. But 
this promotional manga winds up having self-consistent themes and it winds up playing off of the end of Dragon Ball GT in a way that I think is more thematically coherent and satisfying than any of the fandom AF lore or anything he was doing in his own AF manga. Yeah. Um, so in terms of differences between this and AF, I think oddly, uh, although this is a promotional series, this winds up feeling more sincere and more thematically coherent than what he was doing on AF where it really felt like he was sort of twisting himself and the story in any direction needed to work in elements from the the fandom AF lore, right? Yeah, It yeah. doesn't really always feel like events in that series have a reason to happen, but magically, somehow, in this promotional manga, uh, everything feels fairly story-driven and uh, fairly self-consistent in the way that it puts elements together and the way it responds to sort of the end of Dragon Ball GT and, and all of the Dragon Ball material prior. You know, I, I kind of want to draw a parallel between Toyo Tar- Toybles, Dragon Ball AF fan manga, and, and kind of where we are in Heroes these days. You think about his AF manga, and he's, what, off in this land training with the evil dragons and, and Paikuhans there and, and some shit over. Like, it's been a while since I read this. Yeah, and where, Broly shows up. Right. Yeah, good guy Broly. <laughs> and, and where are we in Dragon Ball Heroes? Well, Goku's off training with the great priest and, you know, he's becoming even stronger because he's off in this land of this, this mystical area. And Toyotaro has to do what they tell him to do, like you were saying, in the manga, he's got to cover the cards and the stories that they're doing. Yet somehow he seems to ground it, which is really, really weird. It, it definitely feels like one of those, the, the constraints he has to work in, which is wild to me because the, the constraints of Dragon Ball Heroes basically don't exist. Like you can do whatever you want in Dragon Ball Heroes, but he's still bringing all of those dumb elements down to a place that feels like, of course, Beat is doing that. And, and these are the people he surrounded himself with. And these are the actions he has to take. And it doesn't feel like Goku went off to train with the great priest. Yeah. Can I, I guess maybe if I can just speak for a minute about the general setup of victory mission versus yeah, yeah. the general setup of his AF manga. So the way Victory Mission works, uh, we're introduced to Beat, who is a character in a real world. We don't know as of chapter one that it's the future of a Dragon Ball world. Uh, he goes to a Capsule Core branded, I guess, game center or game research center where he trains with or, or plays against uh, a battled navigator, quote unquote, character who I guess is an employee of, of Capsule Core. His name is Sora. Uh, and he's based on one of the real life sort of celebrity promotional figures that they trot out for Dragon Ball Heroes, yes. uh, quote unquote celebrity. Because well, they quote unquote, show they, up they at the events and yeah. yeah, they they call them charismas, which is sort of a, a word for celebrity. Um, a strange loan word usage. Yeah, like up and comer, I think is a good translation. That, yeah, that's nice. But he plays a virtual reality arcade game where they they beam into a virtual world. Uh, they summon different Dragon Ball characters using cards they bring in, and they they have battles there. So that's how it incorporates the real-world arcade game element. Which may sound familiar to a lot of Switch and PC players right now. Yeah, yeah. We I guess we'll get to that later, how it sort of affected future greater Dragon Ball Heroes fiction via world mission. Uh, but he is big into that arcade game. He winds up meeting Note, sort of his, his female Cyan Avatar counterpart, who is... Better at the game than he is when they first meet, uh, although she loses uh, their first match. 
Uh, and eventually he meets more and more friends who are sort of human versions of the different Dragon Ball Heroes avatars. They wind up sort of getting together through a big tournament. And uh, at that tournament, we get the Dragon Ball GT sequel reveal, so to speak. And the plot from there on out until the sort of abrupt ending of the manga is that someone has used the space-time elements of the arcade machines to go back in time and try to collect the Dragon Balls before they disappeared at the end of Dragon Ball GT. And uh, unknowingly, they gather the balls from just before the evil dragons arrive. So they're charged with a minus energy from the last arc of Dragon Ball GT. They bring them to the present. Sora, the battle navigator character, sort of is in on... He's aware of this plot. He sticks them inside the virtual arcade machine world. So you end up with the evil dragons coming back to life in the arcade world. And from there on out, it's a battle between Beat and Co. to find a way to stop the evil dragons before they escape from the arcade game, I guess. So that's the general plot of Victory Mission. The thing that really strikes me about it versus his AF manga, which takes the fandom, the standard fandom lore, right? So you have Zykor, who is sort of an evil clone of Goku. You have Goku coming back and going Super Saiyan 5 to have one more battle, right? All of that feels so disingenuous to where GT actually ends, right? Yeah. Because the ending notes of GT are about, oh, hey, we've always relied on the Dragon Balls. Now they're gone. All of the sort of magical elements are gone. Goku's gone. We have to rely on our own initiative now to, to rebuild and to protect the planet. And it's a very anti-Toriyama Note 10 that series on, but it is thematically consistent unto itself. Right. You know what? I kind of hate to pause the conversation here, but this is something you've talked about in the past. And that's, um, I, I kind of want to bring you in on some of our GT reviews of awesomeness as we move forward, especially into the evil dragon stuff. But can you give us like the elevator pitch for your take on GT? I'll let you kind of describe it because me paraphrasing it doesn't do it justice. I, I would say it's actually really, really anti Toriyama in terms of what it does thematically, right? Because yeah, yeah. Toriyama's theme is all about sort of bigger and bigger imagination, right? No limits, no endings to stories, right? Anything is possible. There's always another level. So the way that GT kind of works for me is that although it feels absolutely antithetical to Toriyama's approach, it feels really consistent to itself, like surprisingly so for a studio-driven sequel. It, it feels like someone's vision, which I yeah. think works to its favor. So the way it responds to all of the previous Dragon Ball material is to say, okay, that was nice. That was the fun fantasy. Now for our sort of epilogue portion, we're going to bring everything back to the real world, right? So you have characters that are old and frumpy. Uh, you have stories that are very much drawing on previous events and events in a, in a nostalgic way uh, and an atmosphere that plays into that too. Uh, you have, especially toward the end of the series, not only do you have the magical elements being removed one by one, so Boo goes, the Dragon Balls go, Goku goes, because he's sort of a mythic figure even within its world at that point. Uh, you have more and more real-world architecture popping up in the backgrounds, which I would be fascinated to know whose de decision that was uh, in the Evil Dragons arc, especially. Yeah. All of a sudden, you have all these real-world building references that we've never seen in DB before. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and real world fashion as well. So it ends up taking this very, very consistent approach, uh, building up to its ending of saying, okay, right, let's, let's come back down to earth. It's our job to sort of embrace personal responsibility now. And, and again, that's nothing like anything Toriyama would ever in a million years do, 
but it doesn't feel like a safe kind of nothing continuation. That feels like someone had a very specific vision, which I think works. Which, again, takes us to a victory mission where someone has a vision for it. And I think it's Toyotaro pushing through everything that he has to do, right? Yeah. So one of the reasons Victory Mission works for me is kind of in the same way. Uh, One of the reasons is because like Dragon Ball, it has this spirit where it's kind of doing more than it should, right? Dragon Ball really gets away from itself as it goes. It starts as this little contained comedy and just grows and grows until it's this expansive fighting manga, right? And Victory Mission kind of does the same thing. It's this modest little promotional manga and through basically just the verve and and energy of its author, it grows in spite of itself into this really kind of serious, serialized plot, which that element I think is kind of a joy to read. If if you're into kind of enjoying a work as much as the author seems to be enjoying it, uh, it really works on that level, or at least it does for me. And uh, going back to the sort of thematic elements, I guess, so most fandom AF takes and what Toyotaro himself adapted in his own AF fan manga, right? All of that throws the ending of GT out the window, right? Yeah, the yeah. Dragon Balls come back. Goku comes back, right? Who cares about personal responsibility? Who cares about how GT ended? We're going to undo all of it right away. You know, I guess that can be fun, but it, it really doesn't sit well as a sequel. And Victory Mission, I, I think, is the best Dragon Ball AF because it really picks up on where GT ends thematically and embraces that. So you wind up having a generation of normal human characters who, through the game element, are tasked with both the fun and the burden of having these Dragon Ball powers and having to save the world uh, on their own. There are no Dragon Balls. There are no, there's no Goku, right? It's just these characters put in a position to be able to help because of the game. So it winds up really shockingly using the arcade mechanic that he has to remote as part of the story in like a satisfying way. And it feels like a satisfying sequel to where GT leaves off. There's even a chapter, so chapter 16, I think, doesn't feature the game at all, which is really shocking for promotional manga. There's no arcade game, no (laughs) cards. Yeah, yeah. It is just beat and note freaking out over the fact that they have to save the world on top of their school and having a conversation and talking with their parents. And that, I think, more than anything, speaks to how sincere Toyotaro became about the series and... I guess how much faith Shueisha must have had in him by that point, because they allowed him to do a full chapter of a promotional manga. That was that was the only Dragon Ball Heroes manga in V-Jump that month, and it doesn't promote anything. It's just sort of a grounded moment to breathe in the story, which is incredible. You know, you hit on, I think, a key chapter right there, not just for the story content, but that is the last chapter that is only seven pages. From mm-hmm. that point, the very next chapter, Mission 17, we go up to 16 pages and we stay in that area for the remainder of its run, um, kind of averaging at 15 pages to the end there. We hit, I think, 18 at one point. But uh, that really seems to be. Do we think that Shueisha looked at it and said, Oh my God, guys, I think we lucked out. We we got someone who has the spirit of Dragon Ball within him. Well, I would hesitate that, to say that Victory ha- Mission has the, the spirit of, of Dragon Ball or Toriyama okay. really within it. <laughs> it. It does have its author enjoying itself, which is very Dragon Ball-esque to me. But the way he enjoys himself is very different from how Toriyama does it. Perfect, because let's talk about a couple of ways that he shows that he's a fan. Uh, 
you know, I have some of the people here on the show. I, I try to bring in the best of the best. I have the people that are the most intimately familiar with the underlying material. And I think the two of you are probably some of the people that are in, you know, the English speaking world, the most intimately familiar with victory mission. Uh, Julian, you are someone who in the English speaking world might be most intimately familiar with a, a little side thing called Nekomajin. And that is something yeah. that Dragon Ball Heroes leans into a little bit for a little bit. And, uh, a victory, lot of it. <laughs> and victory mission goes whole hog into it as well. Um, Julian, maybe you can just expand on some of these references that he does and some of the characters that he starts using. Yeah. So he, he has like he starts out with characters in the background. He references things like Kajika, which still does not have a proper English release. Yep. And as well as the characters from the 1997 version of Doctor Slump, and actually one of those reappears as an actual character yeah. within <laughs> the series itself, Mizore, who is a a play on Arare. Both both of them are referring to a kind of precipitation as well as a kind of snacky treat. The subtext becomes the text. I don't I don't know if that's the correct way of phrasing that, but sure. The these elements come increasingly to the foreground as he goes on. And of course there is the one and only Nekomajin V, who starts out by hanging out with the with the character Cabra uh, as uh, apparently an ordinary cat, but turns out to be a Nekomajin within that world who was cursed for typical, actually, actually fairly Toriyama-esque reasons to become a cat until it's finally undone. I was going to say, you know, spe- speaking of Kajika, I mean, we're <laughs> these curses here, it lines up. It is, actually, yeah. So it's taking sort of these elements that Toriyama has used before and sort of recombining them in different ways. You can tell, uh, even if he's not like super researched on anything in particular, he's aware of these things. He's a big big fan of them and he wants to wants to sort of play around with them i think a good example of that recently was uh one of his monthly drawings in the official website he did ozoto and even in his comment he was like i don't really know about this guy but toriyama sensei designed him so i'm interested to learn more so he really does just feel like the the toriyama super fan from that respect ian what can you speak to from uh this perspective seeing the fanboy shine through and kind of turn that into story elements as we go through the series yeah i i I definitely vibe on the excitement that Tori, uh, Toyotaro has as a Toriyama fan. It's easy to kind of brush off and, and roll your eyes at, at the extent to which he includes references. And, you know, I think that's deserved a little bit. But again, I think it's really, I enjoy things when it feels like the author is having fun. And it really does feel like yeah. he's showing off and having fun in Victory Mission at the same time. Uh, I, I'd love to talk about the extent to which he's showing off on kind of a craft level later, because I, I think this is his best looking and reading comic. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, as far as the, the Toriyama stuff, it's it's interesting because Toyotaro's writing style couldn't be more different from Toriyama's. Yeah. Um, although he is a huge fan, he's much more embracing of sincere melodrama than Toriyama is. But he does have, so there's a full chapter centered around the Nekomajin character, uh, uh, one of the bonus chapters, and that contains, I think, what is Toyotaro's best Toriyama impression in terms of his writing and overall style. It's almost too much a Toriyama imitation, where it feels like he's really almost trying too hard to kind of copy the the kind of dialogue Toriyama uses and the, and the flow to jokes. But uh, it is pretty amusing. So he, yeah, when when he wants to, he can do a pretty convincing 
Toriyama impression. And I think there is this full, full on comedy Nake homage and V bonus chapter to speak to that. Yeah. I kind of wanted to talk about these five or six ish bonus chapters. No, not individually, but kind of as a collective whole. Uh, but the one you've honed in on here is, I, like you said, a great ex- example of the impression. And, and this could be, you know, Nekomajin Z6. Like, it really feels like it could fit in there. Uh, as in Nekomajin Z, where he talks about uh, Toriyama, brings in real life references, where it was a figure from the Dragon Box set. In this bonus chapter, they're talking about, well, these are the cards that came with Psycho Jump. Like, they're they're kind of looking to the camera and winking and, and nodding at you this entire time. But there's so many other ones as well. Uh, the very first one was this Battle of Gods special, you know, speaking about Victory Mission coming out right as we're about to hit. Yeah, that, that uh, one's actually pretty great. <laughs> yeah, all the all this new material. <laughs> he he writes a a single page I, I hesitate to call it a chapter, uh bonus feature. It's, it's a that, half page even. Yeah. That that not only perfectly encapsulates Victory Mission, but also fits in continuity with Battle of Gods and explains something that doesn't really make sense in Battle of Gods. And I think this is the the rough draft for what will become his Jump Victory Carnival bonus chapters for Dragon Ball Super, which is like, well, here's the thing that the TV series and maybe even my manga didn't explain, but I'm going to explain it in two or four pages. Yeah, should we should we maybe just explain what that half page consists of in case people haven't seen it? So <laughs> Sure. So this was in the May 2013 issue of V-Jump, which came out March 21st, which is right before Battle of Gods hit. So we have on this page a giant title across the top of the page in three rows of comics. And then we have some um, some additional text there on the page like this was part of a big blowout for Battle of Gods. Right. So the, the actual comic itself. Uh, so beat and note go into it's not even the arcade game. They just go into Battle of Gods, the movie, uh, in their full Avatar getup. And Note is excited because it's the first Dragon Ball movie in more than a decade, so they're going to be part of it. So it's it's completely fourth wall breaking from the start. Uh, and they want to get in on the fight against Spirus, but they wind up being distracted by seeing Goku skulking around in the bushes watching Vegeta get beaten by Beerus. Yeah. And they have a little chat with Goku and wind up missing their opportunity to be in the movie. That's the whole comic. Yeah, it's fantastic. (laughs) And much like Naho Oishi, when he's doing this stuff, when he's showing his knowledge and also kind of, you know, prior knowledge because he got a chance to see battle of gods before everyone else kind of gets to tie it all together like it's it's just so cute and so earnest and i i believe it yeah it it is earnest uh it's it feels very again it's different from toriyama's humor because it is so sort of meticulous and nerdy and and hung on sort of pre-existing knowledge of the series for in jokes yeah but it is it's amusing if you are a fan and it does feel Again, like it, it comes from a really sincere place of enjoying what he's working on. And the same is true of, of Oishi, definitely, who should be drawing Super Dragon Ball heroes. I don't want to go through all of the bonus chapters, but you mentioned this one earlier, and it's the the adult Gotenks bonus chapter. And this was an odd one because you had to send away for this one. Somehow I've ended up with two copies of this. I think Julian sent me one, and then I ended up independently buying another one as well. Uh, but this was in around November 2013. Uh, you sent away for it with, uh, I think, the October issue 
that month. Uh, and you got back this bonus booklet. This uh, is it the ultimate victory book, and you got some cards as well. But Ian, like you were saying, this is you want to talk about promotional manga. This is look how cool this character is, huh? Here are the cards. Yeah, this too. is probably probably my least favorite chapter of the entire series, and this is kind of a vision of what. Victory Mission could have been, and really, by all accounts, should have been. Um, it's what you would expect a promotional manga to be. Uh, so, yeah, they the characters are given the Gotenks card of the day. They're given an explanation for how it works. They go have a little mission that shows off how cool Gotenks is, and then at the end, they're happy to have their new super ally Gotenks on their team. And it's so insincere feeling, and it just feels like it's going through the motions of promoting the card. Right. And uh, the difference between that and the rest of the chapters, I think, again, kind of speaks to the series being, again, it's not an amazing series. I wouldn't ever recommend it to a non-Dragon Ball fan. <laughs> right, uh, for sure. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's better than it has any right to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Gotenks chapter is what you would expect it to be in and what it largely wasn't. Well, let's keep talking about that magic then, uh, so to speak, you know, kind of lower expectations magic here. What else is <laughs> that's, a good, mission? that's a good tagline for it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you ever want to pull quote for something, you come to me. <laughs> uh, what else is Victory Mission doing I guess around this time, the, the latter half of the series um, that pulls you in more and more? Well, I guess I, I can speak a little bit more to that. I'd be curious to hear Julian's take on it. He's probably not uh, quite as positive about it as I am. But uh, yeah, I mean, it really, for me, when I was reading it, the first spot where I really noticed that I was enjoying reading it and not just kind of going forward for the novelty was uh, when the big tournament starts, which I, again is that it's kind of roughly chapter 10 area, I think. And that's when, you know, you get the the page counts and, oh, the summaries kept getting longer. <laughs> yeah, right. It starts again up into that, uh, you know, the, that gargantuan five page range. Uh, yeah, he's got a spread of all the characters gathered for this tournament. And that page, I remember, was where I really noticed, oh, I'm... I'm genuinely excited to see what he does with these characters now. I was actually drawn in. And as it goes on, you get more and more sincere character beats. I, I hesitate to call this like one of an all-time great Dragon Ball fights because it's not. But <laughs> there's a, a big sort of simultaneous fight in the last third or so of the series, which is Kagyu, the Namekian avatar character, and Note and... Uh, Forte, one of the other Saiyan uh, girl avatar characters, having two simultaneous fights in different spots against uh, evil dragons or possessed teammates. And those fights and the way they are intertwined with like genuine character moments, it it's really kind of compelling and it really feels like what Dragon Ball would do with uh, sort of intertwining its story beats and fights. And... Uh, that section in particular is really a highlight to me. And uh, again, it just feels like you're reading something that is, is very different from Toriyama's Dragon Ball, but feels of a piece, at least with what it's a sequel to, which is Toei's Dragon Ball. It, it's very melodramatic. Uh, it's much more melodramatic than Toriyama would ever be. But uh, again, it feels compelling and it, it feels self-consistent, at least. So as it goes on, there's more and more to latch on to. It has an extremely bizarre kind of non-ending, which we should probably talk about before the end of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I kind of want to go there and then move on to where we are in the present day. But just real briefly, uh, Julian, I know you were into it 
big time when it was first coming out. I'm not sure when the last time you, you read through it was. Yeah. But what was keeping you going? Was it simply because oh, Mike's asking me for a summary or were you getting anything out of it too? At first, it was interesting to see him play with the elements that he was given. As it went on, the story actually felt like it was going somewhere. And I was curious to see how he was going to use those things, especially since as it went on, like the evil dragon mission, you know, it wasn't going to go on forever. Well, he and outlived that, didn't he? Yeah. It's like, so these story elements are not going to stay fresh, but yet he's sort of committed to the bit at right. this point. And, you know, it was interesting to read, not so much fun to summarize, because especially, you know, as the chapters got longer and, you know, I'm kind of out of my depth in terms of the game, because even <laughs> though I was in the same country, it was not something I played. I occasionally saw other people playing it. I didn't stand there and watch because I didn't want to be like the creepy foreigner who just stares, you know. You know, it was it was intriguing in its own way. And it's also, you know, more research on top of everything else I was already Right, doing. that's true. Yeah, yeah. One thing before we move on to some of these other items that we outlined we, we want to get to, uh, and you mentioned kind of the craft of Victory Mission and how it's the, the best looking, the best reading Toyotaro manga. As I was just looking at the first chapter, the, the two pages, and we have, I don't know, about 700 panels on those two pages, which is very reminiscent yeah, it's a low of, estimate. of where we would get in Dragon Ball Super. But uh, as the page count increases later, he does kind of get room to breathe there. Yeah, well, I, I guess if I can just talk about that generally, uh, I do think this is Toyotaro's best comic on a craft level, uh, shockingly. So a lot of people look at the early pages or early chapters when it was one page or two two pages to five pages and how cramped they are. Yeah. And he really is trying to get every centimeter he can out of the page space he's given. So yeah, you have these 700 panel pages but even then, uh, it's kind of shocking how well it reads, right? Like if you zoom out and look at the page, it, it looks like a complete mess. But as you're going through, it's pretty easy to follow, which uh, I think speaks to a level of craft within the space he's given. But as it goes on and he gets more room to breathe, I think the paneling choices are usually fairly smart. Uh, he doesn't overcrowd with wind-up actions and reaction shots, which is something that really gets me in his current super output. His use of screen tone application, which is a really specific thing, is a lot more thoughtful in Victory Mission. I think the art is just a little bit more lively a lot of times too. Part of that might be because he's working with more of his own designs. Question mark, we don't really know where some of the designs for the human avatars came from. Uh, mm. That was him or Shueisha. Right, right. Uh, but it just feels more confidently drawn and delivered and as cramped as it often is, I think the way it uses its page space is smarter a lot of the time than Super winds up being, where he has more room oh, to yeah, breathe, but are... he also, yeah, he wastes panels on like wind up actions that slow the action or reaction shots, yeah. and you don't get those as much in Victory Mission. So as cramped as it often is, I think it it reads like it's put together a little more thoughtfully than his later output would be. It was it was brought to my attention recently. I think I forget if it was you bringing it up or somebody else on Twitter, but yeah, the Toriyama or Toriyama, yeah, uh, not Toriyama, <laughs> to Toyotaro uh, in Super often sort of not necessarily wastes, but has these sort of panels that show you things that don't necessarily need to be shown in a way that Toriyama generally didn't. He was more he used 
a lot more parsimony than you realize at first glance about he's very economical in in, in his use of um, not just things like tone, but in the way that he frames the action and what he chooses to show. Whereas uh, Toyotaro kind of, it feels like, often wants to throw things in. But when he's in control of the story, he tends not to do that as much. Yeah, I, I wonder if being in control of sort of every creative aspect of Victory Mission, outside of promoting what he was asked to, um, if that led to uh, kind of smarter craft choices. Yeah. Um, and, and as far as who pointed that out, that could have been anyone. That's a really frequent complaint with Super, right? Um, yeah, Toriyama yeah. makes his actions feel really quick and snappy, oftentimes by cutting out any sort of in-between movements. Yeah, um, Toyotaro, yeah. Toyotaro loves showing like kick wind-ups and characters, you know, flying between point A and B in Super a lot. And it counterintuitively really slows the feeling of the action a lot of the time. Uh, but that's something you don't get as often in Victory Mission. Yeah, I wonder if that has to do with him adapting it from animation for that section of the of Could the be. series mm, maybe that he's sort of uh not even perhaps consciously but just sort of imitating the way that you see them go from point a to b on screen in a way that you don't yeah, maybe. maybe but it's it's here even in the current manga only arc so I don't, i'm not sure about that is it i don't know because i i think That's of was it one or two chapters ago where the you know, the the super merge Namekian flies in and all we get is the the final post impact shot of being impaled so yeah but that's that's a comedy beat but there there's one right sure. before that in the chapter where he hurdles a Namekian toward a wall of fire and you yeah. see the Namekian get picked up you see him flying mid-air and then you see him hit the wall and it feels mm. so much slower than it would be if you just had the pickup and then yeah, hitting yeah. the fire uh, that's a fair point. We still have some to cover, and we've been going for a while, but I, I do want to make sure we, we hit some of these important things. Uh, the end of Victory Mission, which is to say there is no end <laughs> to Victory Mission. So we get Chapter 28 in December 2014 in the February 2015 issue of V-Jump. Uh, think about what's going on around this time and what's about to happen. That is the launch of Resurrection F in uh, Japanese theaters. So we, we end here and there is no end and we won't have a resolution to Victory Mission, if you want to call it that, until uh, November, later that same year, in the, uh, <laughs> the, the fifth anniversary fan book. The last chapter is wild. Uh <laughs> <laughs> So if Victory Mission has this like postmodern, like fourth wall breaking, bizarre ending where golden Ozaru Brawley tears through a <laughs> wall of reality at some point. Yep. All of Beat's friends might be dead, but then they all show up at once. It's it's like watching. I, do, I actually haven't seen the end of Evangelion. I was it, just gonna say it's it's the Dragon Ball version of End of Ava, it, it where really everyone's is. here, well done. everyone's happy, everyone's clapping. Yeah, and, it, there's something yep. a little off about it. It feels a little <laughs> surreal. Um, it's totally. And then it, the, the very end is just it's in your hands to imagine what comes next. Yeah, and, and that's where Victory Mission was left. And uh, that's not to say that these characters didn't occasionally pop up from time to time. Uh, I, I think technically the first, and I have to fact check this, I'm not going to fact check this, so let's just roll with it. I think the first time we saw Beat outside of this, and it wasn't really Beat, was in uh, Ultimate Tenkaichi or Ultimate Blast, uh, one of the creative characters, kind of base 
uh, designs was effectively just beat. Uh, and those characters would show up occasionally. Like in uh, Ultimate Mission X, you can see them kind of flying around. Uh, Ian, you've played... Have, have you finished the story mode in Ultimate Mission X? I can't remember. No, it's it's too boring. I'm, I'm like four-fifths <laughs> of the way through. Uh, arcade mode is fun. I like arcade mode a lot. Right. Uh, no, but yeah, you get... Uh, some of the other non-beat human avatar characters showing up in Ultimate Mission X. Yeah. And I am still curious about who designed those. So they showed, most of them showed up for the first time in Victory Mission and then didn't appear anywhere else for years. Um, so that would be like the human form of Kagyu, the Namekian avatar. Right. Froze, right. The, the Frieza avatar, who is great uh, in Victory Mission. And this is probably just a Toriotaro choice. Uh, his parents are foreign, so he speaks hilarious English sometimes. Cards is not shit. Yeah, cards is not shit. Words to live by. Yeah, so they show up in some of the later home ports of uh, the Dragon Ball Heroes arcade game. So you start to get influence outside of the comic there. And then yeah. they showed up in a big way recently in a game that uh, hit a global release. It's wild, man. So... Super Dragon Ball Heroes World Mission is a reboot of Victory Mission and simultaneously Dragon Ball Xenoverse 3, and I don't know how to take this. Yeah, it is. It is Victory Mission the game, kind of. I mean, Beat is you. You are the main character, and Note's there, and Froze is there, and Kagyu is there. Everyone's here. They're all here. Everyone is here. Everyone uh, is here. <laughs> and it's the, the same setup where it's, it's uh, a game, or is it? not actually a game and we're all super into it and we're gonna save things and it's leaking into the real world and we have to go into the game world but now we're back in the real world and we can be our game world selves it's crazy man is reality recursive are we in a game now these are the questions that victory mission prompts you to ask i just feel good for toyotaro that his characters get to live on yeah well the really wild thing going all the way back to what kind of got Toyotaro the role. By the way, I want to touch on this. There was an interview yes, yes. with Toyotaro recently. Uh, I think Julian translated it. It's on the uh, it's on the Konzenshi website. So he had an interview recently where he, or, or the sort of overall article makes the claim that he brought his pitch for a Dragon Ball Heroes comic to Shueisha. Now, whether that's true, I'm not sure. That could be sort of a sanitized take so that they don't have to say, hey, he got recruited for this copyright violating fan manga. Right. Um, <laughs> right. But if that is true, that actually makes a lot of sense to me in terms of how Victory Mission feels, where it really does feel kind of like a passion project at the same time as it is a promotional manga. Um, so I could definitely buy that it was a pitch he brought to them. But going all the way back to where Toyotaro slash Toible started, which was this AF fan manga, which is how he sort of cut his chops and eventually what got him a job one way or another. It's wild that some fans drawing of Super Saiyan 5 Goku now in 2019 is influencing both sort of the main line of Dragon Ball fiction because Toyotaro has a big role in yep. where Super is going and this expanded sort of multimedia heroes franchise where Toyotaro's manga has sort of shown up in victory uh, in World Mission and helped shape the hero's lore too. Kudos to the guy who drew Super Saiyan 5 Goku because... Man, you have cast a long shadow on Dragon Ball itself. <laughs> I know. We, we looked at it at the time and said, this is crazy. This is just that that fan extrapolation to the nth degree. And this is so anti-Toriyama. And 
Well, here we are. Yep. Going back to the ending of the manga, though, real quick. Yeah. Uh, so the time frame of everything is something I really want to talk about. Okay, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the last chapter of Victory Mission was, right, February? Or it was the February issue, but it was a little bit before that? The February issue, so it came out in December. And again, um, Resurrection F is hitting April that next year? Right. So the manga ended, it announced that it was taking a temporary a temporary hiatus uh, in the last chapter that ran in the magazine. Right. So they intended for it to come back, probably. Toyotaro winds up doing the Resurrection F manga, which ran April through June or April through June, the April through June issues. April through June issues. So February through April. So the last chapter came out right as the movie was coming out. Okay. And the super anime was announced in April as well. Yep. And so the first chapter of the Dragon Ball Super manga. Yep. It was the August 2015 issue in June that year. So we are like not really any issues in between, like one issue in between these various things, kind of. Yeah. So I feel like what happened because we know Super had such a rushed Uh pre-production. I really I really feel like it's possible that as of the last serialized chapter of Victory Mission, everyone, Toyotaro and Shueisha included, probably did think it would pick back up after the F manga. Yeah. And then because Super had such a rushed pre-production, he wound up being sort of put quickly onto that manga adaptation and Victory Mission's continuation just fell off the radar. Yeah. Uh, But it's really interesting that sort of the rushed nature of uh, Super's production probably wound up denying Victory Mission uh, a real ending um, because they just couldn't have planned for it. I I think that's totally accurate and true. (laughs) That's absolutely what happened. I mean, you you look at what happened there with uh, the Super manga beginning just ahead of the TV series and just going from there. And here we are in 2019 and... He's he's doing his own original arc. I I wonder what Toyotaro would rather be doing. I this is probably what he wants to do. I know do, what I would right? rather have him be doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we're talking about that also, uh I would have been really curious. I, by by the end of Victory Mission, I was way into it and I would have been really curious to have seen where it would have gone had it continued. Yeah. Uh especially because Right. If it continued, there's no way it could get around bringing in all of the Dragon Ball Super elements, right? It would have to yes. keep adapting the new material. Well, that kind of goes back to what Julian was talking about earlier, where it was you know, he's so busy doing this evil dragon stuff and he's committed to these elements. Right. But he's got to move forward with all of the new mission updates as well. Similar to the Dragon Ball Super manga, which was ahead, then behind, then caught up and fell extremely behind and then rushed all the way to get ahead to do its own new thing. I feel like Toyotaro has been the victim of this time and time again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. His curse is to get more and more pages and then not be able to finish a series. Um, (laughs) But... uh, yeah, I would have been curious to see how he would have handled that. Um, I, I would have liked to have read it, honestly. Yeah, because h- how do you reconcile GT with the super stuff? Well, he would have had to do it. Right. And and I think the cynical, easy approach that most people drawing a promotional manga would take would just be, who cares? Ignore it, right? Yeah. Ignore that the continuities don't make sense. Bring in the super elements. But Toyotaro is the kind of meticulous, nerdy fan that I think he would have felt obligated to justify events that couldn't possibly line up with his GT world suddenly coming in, right? Uh-huh. You have yep. Beerus in there already, but you can kind of say, okay, Beerus showed up and then GT happened. Yeah, yeah. But Super's really irreconcilable with it. Um, so I think he would have felt obligated to find a way to justify those elements. Uh, luckily, Heroes kind of offers that. 
uh, since it has the time patrol, it already has time time travel elements in yeah. Victory Mission. You can easily bring in those characters and have them introduce events from other timelines to sort of be put into the arcade game in this world. Right, so there are ways sure. to do it, but I, I think he would have felt obligated to find one of those ways. I would love to have seen his explanation for it because, well, someone's going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave it there. Uh, Victory Mission has a lot more to share. Maybe we will go back and do some, if not chapter by chapter, but you know, kind of segmented off portion reviews of it in the future. Uh, it's... It was a, a fun point in Konzenshu history, and it continues to be <laughs> a current fun point as we go back and do uh, additional documentation on it. Uh, and I just want to say how thankful I am, and Julian is probably thankful as well, that someone else has fallen into this mess. Well, Julian, if you have final thoughts on the experience of reading Victory Mission, uh, you know, please feel free to share them. But uh, yeah, I, I would love more people to be able to read the whole series. I would love for Viz to get a volume of this out. It's not collected in Japan even. Right. Uh, although you can find the main chapters, not the bonus ones, uh, you know, online. But uh, yeah, kind of strike while the iron's hot because there's probably never going to be a more relevant time than the world mission release. That's the tough thing, though, because, yeah, there's never been a more relevant time, a more perfect time, but none of the content in this series is available in Super Dragon Ball Heroes World Mission. It's all pre-Super Dragon Ball Heroes stuff. Yeah, but it's it's relevant enough in the cast. I suppose I it is, and, yeah. And Toyotaro's kind of a name artist now, weirdly. Uh, totally. Like people know him from the Super Dragon Ball... Super Dragon Ball. From the Dragon Ball Super <laughs> manga. Uh, right. So I think you could justify putting out, even though the so. series isn't really complete, you could say, here's Torio Taro's previous work. And it ties into this hot new world game mission we're pushing. I, I think you could do it. Yeah. See how it all gets started. Totally agree. Uh, so you enjoying writing about all these dumb things for the wiki? Oh, God, no. Um, <laughs> but I do want the information to be out there. So I'll continue to plug away at it. Julian, dude, you are going to join me here next week. And we're going to go to a convention and we're going to talk about old stuff. Uh, I think we're going to mention Victory Mission as well. That we are, I believe. Yeah, well, I haven't shown you the slides yet, so <laughs> you don't entirely know. Uh, that's the nice thing about content shoes. Uh, we can just show up and talk about things, but we will be well prepared. We're going to Castle Point Anime Convention in Sea Caucus, New Jersey. Uh, we have a Dragon Ball panel at 1.30 p.m. and a podcasting panel at 6.30 p.m. on Saturday, April 27th. So this episode will be out before then, uh, hopefully. Uh, if you're in remotely around the area, we would love to see you there. Uh, we are going to bring some things from the archives to show off and uh, talk about during the Dragon Ball panel. And hopefully we will be recording that stuff as well to share, uh, you know, in the podcast feed in the future. That's uh, our immediate plan. Uh, Ian, what do you got coming up? Uh, V-Jump just came out over there in Japan yesterday, today-ish. Uh, we're, we're in between Psycho Jump Hells right now, so things okay? Uh, yeah, no one, no one looks... Uh, forward more to Psycho Jump Day than I do, uh, where I have to sort of steal it out of a bookstore, trying not to be spotted by any students. Uh, and then sounds just like uh, Julian's old days. Yeah. Then get to yeah. kind of read through one of my least favorite comics in the world and, and slowly document that. Uh, now, have you been doing the author comments? Yeah, and the author comments too, which uh, it's really, it's really just a blast. I love Psycho Jump so much. <laughs> and they just threw another comic back at you. Hey, Dark Demon Realm Mission, we're, we're back on that jazz. 
Yeah, that, that one's a little bit of fun, uh, but uh, most of it's just a slog. Do you look at anything else in that magazine or just the Dragon Ball stuff? Uh, I mean, I've looked at other pages and, and read little snippets, but like no yeah. one should read what is published in Psycho Jump. It's mostly Dragon Ball stuff. It really is. It is, it is half Dragon Ball now. Yeah. So when you were mentioning earlier sort of that dead period where there was almost no Dragon Ball content in V-Jump, that is so quaint now because Psycho Jump, this phone book sized magazine is like fully one third to a half Dragon Ball manga now, which is ridiculous. They're finally almost at the very end of Dragon Ball GT. And they started at the beginning of the evil dragons thing with, <laughs> with, um, to tie in. Yeah. With, with, with heroes. Yeah. It's, wow, it's a such, real relic it's such a laugh. There. It was when the magazine was monthly. I have to assume they thought it yeah. would be over in a relatively timely fashion. And that's not what happened. I can't wait for it to be done. Anyway, so that was Julian. <laughs> that was me. Uh, Ian, you want to plug anything? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Oh, you can find me. You can find me on Twitter at uh, at cipher underscore DB. There you go. That's perfect. All right. So www.kanzenshuu.com. That is kanzenshu.com. You can find myself. You can find Julian there. You can find Heath there as well. And uh, Ian's plugging away behind the scenes, helping me out with... Uh, the worst of the worst comics and documentation. Despo, huh? Yeah, Despo is a real, real bad book. Uh, it, it is. Yeah. When you think about what a kind of lazy, insincere promotional manga looks like, it's that series all the way. One hundred percent. You want to do that one next? Yeah, we should do a, a Despo catch up. I would have to read the last chapter, which I haven't yet. So maybe <laughs> six months to a year from now would be good. All right, that's it. Uh, Julian, you get last word. Um, I don't know. Wrap it up. 今回も完全集ザポッドキャストを聞いていただいて誠にありがとうございます。次回もお楽しみに。<笑>